Hey everyone, great to speak with you for another episode of the Mental Game Podcast. Sam Brief here with you in the home studio in Chicago, along with my assistant. That's my cat, Tony. For those of you watching on the video and for those of you who are just listening, Tony is a beautiful orange tabby who is sort of my assistant. Anyway, it's great to have you on this next Mental Game Podcast, and I'm really excited for this one. I know I always say that, but it's really true today because Shannon Cefaletto is an absolute gem. I actually met her this past summer with the Chicago Dogs baseball team. She joined as a mental performance consultant and has been a practicing mental performance consultant and a licensed clinical professional counselor for quite some time. Shannon worked with the Chicago Dogs, a professional baseball team. And she's also worked at the Little League level with kids. She's worked with college athletes. She's worked quite a bit in the dance space as a dance and movement therapist. All over the map, Shannon's technique, her philosophy, is really fascinating to me. It's very different. I'm not going to tell you too much because I want to leave it to her to tell you in the meat of the episode. But Shannon's awesome. I know that you will love this. So without further ado, here is the wonderful Shannon. Cephaletto in three, two, one. And it is a joy to bring on the mental game a long time coming. The wonderful Shannon Cephaletto, certified mental performance consultant and licensed clinical professional counselor, who I had the joy, the honor of meeting this past summer when she was working with my Chicago dog, Shannon. Welcome to the mental game. And Shannon, you really were embraced as a key member of the team down a playoff stretch where the dogs were only 18 innings short of winning the franchise's first ever title. I sort of want to start in the present moment because we're recording 26th of September. Season ended about a week ago. What was the experience like for you in working with the minor league baseball team? Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, About, probably about... So not this season, but this season prior, I had attended a Chicago Dogs game and just absolutely fell in love with the vibe and every, everything about it. I just had a feeling about, you know, and was also emerging on the scene into my own business as a mental performance consultant and um, getting that up and running. And, um, you know, I, I was Sean, the owner's so present around the stadium. And I, I just approached him and said, what would you think about having a mental performance consultant, I would love to be that person. And just, you you know, that moment is so pivotal in how this all happened because he didn't blink an eye. He was so open to it, you know, and so excited about that and just really understood like, yeah, player development. It is about the whole person. And when somebody starts talking that talk at the head of an organization, you know, you've got a good thing, you know, you know, like yeah. it's going to, it feels right. So from there, just continued to learn the organization and get connected and ultimately was brought on, you know, uh, after maybe towards the end of July, early August or around mid August, somewhere around there, I officially kind of started with uh, the Chicago dogs and working with the players. And I have to tell you, it was, it was incredible. Like just being able to walk in and be introduced and be, you know, all this was vetted through um, the manager and the coaches. And they were just on board. Again, the next step, you know, is like, do they feel want this, feel comfortable with this? They totally got it. Totally were excited about it. Um, and, and then you could really tell that that culture had kind of already trickled down to the players because instantly it was never like 
oh, who or why or what? You know, it was like, yeah, sure. I would love to talk with somebody, you know, um, and, and work on the mental side of the game or the emotional side of the game um, and, and level up in that way. And it was just so exciting to have that opportunity. And then within that, I was really able to um, kind of structure it in a way that I hoped would break down any barriers to anybody coming to see me or talking with me. Um, So examples of that were even how I met you is because I was able to be present. I was able to be at pivoting practice. I was able to talk with players, sit around in the, in the coaches meetings here and there, you know, get to know everybody, be a presence and, and, and do everything from formal meetings in an office with players to a touch point, you know, in the, uh, on the side or while they're stretching or whatever the case may be. And um, I think that afforded the opportunity for me to hopefully have some impact quickly is because I was just, it was like open invitation, do what you think you need to do. And um, I could not be more excited about that opportunity um, right there. So, um, you know, I, I hope that it was able to have such a, um, hopefully a good impact and how it took them down the stretch all the way to what was a, you know, legendary season for them. It was clinching a berth in the title series on a walk-off and then losing the championship on a walk-off against the team. You know, I got to say, I mean, I don't want to give you too much credit, but the team's record with you was better than the team's record before you came. So, you know, I know correlation does not equal causation. I remember you that from my psychology know, I like classes. Sam, I say the exact thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I always love to say I want to have a small part, but, you know, I get the opportunity when... One good thing is if somebody comes to you, it's because they want to. This is nothing that anybody has to do on the team. It is very much elective. So the person that's approaching you and wants to work with you has chosen to do so. So you get some advantage, you know, right then and there that they're sort of open to it. Um, And then um, from there, you know, um, there's lots of other variables certainly involved, but I'm just thankful and grateful and excited to be one of them that helps, right? Got to have some coaches that know the skill and all these other things um, as part of it, but trainers, you know, all of it. But I love that approach. I love to work holistically and as part of um, what I see as really almost like a continuum of care, right? So that even starts from, you know, like I said, the health of the ownership all the way through the culture of the organization and everybody involved is part of um, kind of that that health and wellness of a player. Absolutely. Here's something I'm really curious about with the way your sessions look, because this is a question that's come up, listeners of this podcast and people in day-to-day life asking me, hey, you talk to some of these people like a mental performance consultant like you, Shannon, and, and people ask, what's the difference between that and therapy, right? Like I go to therapy couple times a month, but it's different from a session you might conduct with a Chicago Dogs player or with an NCAA student athlete. So how would you describe the difference between your typical therapy session and a session with you as an athlete? Yeah, thank you for that um, question. It's really important that they are distinguished for a few reasons. And to, to be open, I provide both services, right? So I have 
the counseling license in the state of Illinois and can provide that service for athletes who, you know, might be struggling with something around their mental health. And certainly mental performance is part of that. But when you are working with somebody in therapy, that is a mental health service. It is protected by different, um, you know, health guidelines like HIPAA, right? Um, consent and things like that um, are all, it's kind of like locked down in a little bit of a different way. Um, you're consenting to treatment and mental health treatment with a provider who's licensed um, as a mental health provider. So that's a very different agreement than um, the work I did, for example, with the Chicago Dogs or with um, a client who might come to me who doesn't have necessarily um, a diagnosable mental health concern, at least at the moment, right? But really is looking to up their skills around their mental performance. And so um, it is really important that I'm clear with either the person or the organization, um, the services that I am providing and what the boundaries and protect protection for those services, sort of like, you know, I might say to somebody in a, in a mental performance space, this is private, but it isn't confidential. It, you know, over here, something that is treatment related that is protected by um, a guide like HIPAA is, is truly confidential. Now, there's always that purview of if anyone is a danger to themselves or a danger to others that you would need to share that information. So it's, it's just a matter of what agreement you're entering in, the services that you're provided, and being very clear with the person, organization, et cetera, on that. And how does the actual session look different in terms of the types of questions you might ask or the types of things you might try to get out of me in therapy versus mental performance consult? I think if I'm working really directly in um, mental performance, I am trying to keep it as skill-based as, um, as I can. And I'm really focusing a little bit more than I normally would in, in a mental health space on how something is impacting their performance. You know, it is that it's that outcome related um, kind of experience and is always funneling that direction. That's why you came to me. You know, I have something going on related to me wanting to perform better. I'm in a slump, you know, um, my hitting average has slumped. I'm making more errors than I ever have before. Um, I just don't feel like I'm in the game in some way, shape or form. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't outside things that would go on, right, that impact people's life and impact their performance. Um, but I just want to be careful in those spaces that we don't come to such like deep processing or trauma work or something like that, that is much more, um, uh, might work better in a space where you open that up in therapy. So what I could say, what I what I love about the skill sets that I have is I'm able to work with someone in the mental performance space and say, Hey, listen, it seems like there might be really something going on. That's a little bit more deeper here. You know, um, would you maybe be open to either a referral to the mental health space or shifting? Our agreement, whatever that might, you know, whatever that looks like um, for that person. But certainly if I'm starting in the mental performance space with somebody, because I do have a counseling license, I can have a keen eye towards um, and kind of constantly be assessing if there's something more there that might need to be addressed. Now, whether the person's open to that or not. On the note of your, the mental performance side of it, I personally think it's fascinating the approach you take with your athletes on embracing the artistry of the sport 
And I know you have a background in dance and movement, and you're very in tune with that. And it's interesting because people read about, you know, maybe sports psychology and mental performance consulting and things like this, and they just think, oh, you know, someone like you might go in and help fix an issue. But sometimes it's not fixing an issue. Sometimes it's embracing the sport, embracing your art as a pitcher, as a singer, as a dancer, as a broadcaster, heck, right? So let us in a little bit on what that looks like for you in embracing the sport. Yeah, yeah. Um, my entire sort of premise, philosophy, training is how we can connect our mind and our body and integrate them and work from a place where if the mind and body come together and are fully integrated, we therefore have the fullest expression of our technique. And technique, I mean, they're all technicians, every athlete, and they're elite ones. They're good at it. They are using their body to execute the sport, you know, to at these very, very high levels. But then sometimes the mind's coming in and working against that, you know, and and, and bringing that that down, that technique um, down a little bit or impacting it in some way. So what I really like to do is try to find the ways that we can come together, get out of our minds a little bit, get settled and more present into our body and link the two together. And the artistry, I believe, is found in that, you know, when when you can really um, when you're not thinking anymore and you're just being you're in present moment and you're really feeling present in your body, then so much more you're you're your technique comes to life in a much different way. Um, and I think you can find curiosity and creativity in those places. Um, and, and I think a simple way of thinking about that is when we have things going on in our mind, they directly affect the way tension is held in our body. It just does, you know, because they're always working together. But we're not used to investigating that. We aren't used to asking the question of like, wow, I am really having these mental blocks. I'm giving a lot of mind chatter that's telling me I'm not good enough, you know? And I would say then to a player, how do you feel like that is impacting the way maybe you execute or or tension levels in the body that you don't need anymore? Where are those places? that you find that tension is overheld. And all of a sudden you sort of see like, oh, my face, my shoulders, you know, my, and it's, it's different for every person, right? But we need to start investigating how what goes on in our mind impacts our body. Conversely, sometimes athletes are like already very attuned to their body and they may realize I'm tense here, I'm tense there. And oh my gosh, I have, it's, that's the mind chatter. You can work both directions. You can facilitate change in the mind to change the body. You can facilitate change in the body to change the mind. And that is truly where my expertise lies. I can do both, but what I am probably uniquely good at as a dance movement therapist, dancer, and artist is helping people facilitate that change in the body to really shift the the mind. It's so fascinating to me, that approach, because (laughs) You know, I'm coming from a background of working more than anything with baseball players. And we often think of baseball 
let's just take a pitcher, for example. It's so technical, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, these guys are so in tune with every movement, right? I'll talk to a pitcher and say, hey, man, how you feeling? And he'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm working on my shoulder is like 45 degrees pointed down. I need to get it to 44. Or like my elbow is here and it needs to move one millimeter to the left. And I'm like, what? How do you know that? You know, I yeah. barely know what I'm doing with my body. So it's so interesting how technical that is. And it sounds like what you might help a struggling pitcher to do is to embrace the art of the pitching and to mm -hmm. let their mind get out of the way a little bit. How do you do that, though? Like, how do I get my mind out of the way while I'm performing? So I, I was just thinking of an example um, from somebody I worked with just recently. Um, came to me um, re on, on the way back, uh, the tail end, going back to play from an injury, okay? And the injury has impacted confidence for the player. And so I um, did a couple of things. And he actually said to me, I need to work on my confidence, you know? And I'll, you'll see that a lot with injuries too, because you have to get to know your body again. You're returning to play. You're not sure if, if it's going to work, you know, the way that you want it to, or how's it going to be different? Lots of anxieties and lots of mind chatter can happen in that kind of process. So I started um, working with, having him push his feet like into the floor and start with like the lower body because this was an upper body injury. And so I wanted to start with like where the strength was, where, where can we leverage in the body, the power and what feels good and what feels right. And what feels like what we know and started to get some breath and energy moving in the body from the bottom, all the way working up towards the top of the body and finding out like working through the places where there was also the injury, but all of the other body parts too, really helping to send the message that like, it's okay, body part that got injured, I got you, you know, I got all these other parts working that I know and I'm coming back to now. And, um, and then I, and he couldn't believe it. He's like, I can feel it. You know, I can feel the energy moving. I can feel it from the floor. Like, how did I not think to sort of leverage the power of my lower body when I execute the movement to help this injury part feel better. Right. And then I kind of, as he was like, the breath was working more and more. Now, right then and there, you can sort of start to see this person's not thinking anymore about their confidence level. They're just in their body and excited about the way their body's working again and coming together and becoming more integrated. And so I kind of went and I always, whenever you use like touch or work with another person, you ask permission. So I was like, can I just like set my hand on your like scapula area and upper back and had him kind of sit up and breathe into the scapula. So if you've ever done like a pull down with weights, you know, and kind of engages that scapula. Yeah. Right. I don't do them very well, but I've done them a yeah, couple of times. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's that upper back and just a real gentle Breathing and connection in your scapula is a powerful movement, you know, and really, and I mean, boom, right away, he was like, wow, what just happened? And I was like, well, it's just coming back into your body. But this power source, it, this place in your scapula really kind of directly correlates to kind of confidence levels more often than not for people, you know? Um, and so he did that. And as we were leaving the session later and talking about takeaways, he's like, 
was that part of the body again that we worked on? And I said, oh, the scapula. And he said, I loved that, you know? And so helping people come back home, I like to say, come back into their bodies um, is just one way of like sort of getting out of your head and working through those mental blocks um, and, and trusting that body again and having it become more integrated. It was so cool. That is amazing. Coming home is such an interesting concept. And it strikes me too, Shannon, that everyone has something they can come home to, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about an athlete, but very few people are athletes. I mean, I, I don't think the majority of the listeners of this podcast are athletes. Maybe they have been at some point in their lives, but currently they're not getting paid money to be an athlete. I'm certainly not. What's something that someone who is not performing, so to speak, on a day-to-day basis can learn from that approach? Well, I'll tell you, um, we might not all be athletes, but every single one of us are movers. Every Mm -hmm. single one of us, right? And that means if we are even differently abled in any way, shape, or form, we all have this physical, you know, body that is with us, that is breathing, you know? Um, And it doesn't matter to the degree that you're, quote, mobile, and I even see you do it right now on my screen. You just took a beautiful, deep breath. It was a pretty, I, I yeah. got to say, let's, I mean, that was, that was like a 10 out of 10 breath. I just got Yeah, in. yeah. That, that's alive and, and vibrant and has a place in this world that matters, right? So we always have the opportunity to come back home to our bodies, to our minds and settle in to our body mind and, and, and be there. And sometimes things come up, right? Because everything that we've experienced in our life is housed somewhere in that body mind. Um, And that's okay. It's the investigation and the curiosity um, and the maybe perhaps the need to process through those things, right? But I think it's, it's, it's what we can all do is recognize the moments where we're feeling connected in our body, which that was a beautiful example. You just took that breath to get a little bit more settled into your body and a little bit more connected and hopefully start to recognize the moments where we feel a little less connected because maybe we are a little bit cognitive and in our minds a little bit. And then you realize, Oh my gosh, I, I, I wasn't even in my body. I just drove from here to, you know, the, the nearest grocery store. I don't know how I got there, you know, <laughs> been there. Right. And, and you know what I always say? It's like, that's okay. Sometimes we need those moments, but it's building the awareness in our body mind that matters. Awareness is such a key. Yeah. I mean, and I hope listeners of this podcast can really internalize what you have been saying, which is that everyone is a mover and your body might not be the moneymaker, right? <laughs> like if you're a if you're a pro boxer, right? Your your body's the moneymaker, but if you're if you're me, if you're you, you know, most people it's not it still is your vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. And and you can still notice things. I mean, I shared with you during the dog season, Shannon, how a big change for me in my broadcasting had nothing to do with my voice, had nothing to do with my preparation. It was my body. I realized that I was sitting in broadcasting baseball games on the edge of my seat, leaning forward, clenched fists, tense, as if it was the bottom of the ninth of a championship game. And that only happens once every few years, right? So I made the change, 
beginning of last year to really pay attention to that and broadcast with my hands open, leaned back, and a little more relaxed. And then when it is the bottom of the ninth, two outs of a championship game, which it was last week, then I lean forward because I know my audience is lean forward. But the rest of the time, lean back. It's baseball. It's relaxed, right? So when you're in traffic, folks, you may be listening to this in traffic. You might be lean forward, you know, teeth clenched, freaking out. Now you're just driving home. You're going to your family. Let's, let's chillax, you know? No need to flick off that white Nissan. It's fine. I love that. It's such a, and that was such a perfect example of um, the, the noticing of the body to sort of help you open up the space in your mind and what you were saying and how you were saying it and how you were able to take in the game, right? That cognition shifts for you because you started with the tension levels in the body. So again, starting either place, it's the awareness of either that, that matters. And that, and that, that, and you're so beautifully describing too, that if we sort of stay aware of tension or flow or breath support in our body, or even if we just start with what's going on in our head and then track it down, what, could that possibly do in our work space, as you just described, um, of how present we are in certain places, the way we're relating to our families, our relationships. And I mean, I think that holds true for athletes as well, right? It's it, sure the moneymaker might be the body, but they're whole people who have all kinds of other things going on in their lives as well. So the skills translate for absolutely anyone and everyone, these kind of performance-based mental performance-based skills that, for me, are body-mind-centered. And, and you've experienced so many over the years. I mean, Shannon, you've worked now with, of course, the dogs, which was my experience with you, but you've worked in the college space, plenty in the dance space, all sorts of different types of athletes, different types of people um, in all these different contexts. So I'm really curious about this, given your, your wide range of experience. Let's say you were to plot out like a chart of different, I'll call them issues, but I, I don't like the word issue. I just can't think of a better one right now. So different issues that you see people dealing with or mental blocks that you experience. What is the most common with the athletes you work with? Like, what's the thing that an athlete will say to you and you're like, yep, yeah, okay, this, this again. What is that? Okay, okay, so... I am um, also the baseball coach for my son, who is, you know, when I started coaching him six and seven, right? So I have literally, when you talk about tracking it from little kid through a professional sports player, right? And everything in between. Um, I'm trying to think of the best words to use to, to phrase this. I, I, I'm going to say emotional regulation, but... The simplified version might be dealing with frustration, <laughs> right? Um, but really, you know, a little more broadly, how do we keep our emotions in check? 100% all the way through, you know, um, we always are grappling. I see little kids who are, you know, playing in the field. Maybe let's take baseball, for example, in, in some of my little league where they look so sad after something happens when they throw their glove or they throw their bat and they're so frustrated and mad at what happened or and that could be any sport you know they're just they feel it and they get a little like dysregulated or 
they're not going to be able to perform as well if they're feeling angry or mad or frustrated at the play. Everywhere in between, all the way up to my professional level players get frustrated and want to not go from zero to a hundred in a nanosecond. They want to build that base on how do I manage my emotions a little bit better so that I can get back out and be in my peak performance place a lot sooner, you know, and not have it take the whole night to get back and to get over my anger. Um, We don't have that kind of time, especially in sports. But then if you track that back to a little kid, that's just a life skill that is so valuable for them, for any of us, right? Um, So I think emotional regulation. um, And that's why playing sports is so valuable for a little kid. You know, it's not like, you know, I played sports as a little kid. It's not like my parents were training me to be an Olympic athlete. If they did, I failed miserably. But I would like to think that some of the sports I played helped me to become a better person, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And it still does, even at the professional level, hopefully, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think confidence would be like another one, confidence in some way, um, building that um, performance anxiety in some way, shape, or form can be a big one. And... Um, I'm trying to think of, I think I had one. Oh, injury is just sort of always ever, ever present of how, how that works. I mean, those are some of the big heavy hitters that you might really see pretty common that I could easily track all the way through what I see with little kids all the way through. And I guess sometimes if you're looking at a team, I've worked with lots of teams as well, like generally given presentations and workshops or consulting with teams, um, ensuring like just team communication is, is healthy and, you know, people are, how those relationships are both on and off the playing time, whatever that looks like, whatever sport it is, um, is also really important and looking at a healthy is important too. And that that's that's a conversation in youth sports all the way through professional level. Do you watch Ted Lasso? Oh yes. Yeah, like that's a healthy culture, right? Yeah. Yes. FC Richmond, I mean, top to bottom. You know, at the beginning it's a little sketchy, but then, you know, from from Miss Welton to Ted, um, it's pretty healthy. And what a true example of just putting person first and that every individual matters. And oh my gosh, am I such a huge proponent of that, you know, and, and a team works best when every individual is providing their, their gift and that it's appreciated and nurtured and I don't know, highlighted. And that's, I mean, you could be talking about a team of athletes or you could be talking about your work team, you know, I mean, this again is bigger than athletics. That, yeah, and, and, and I mean, the fact that you love that show, too, I just think about how it seems like everyone who works in the mental health space and everyone who works in the athletic space or is an athlete or a coach loves Ted Lasso. I mean, doctors hate medical shows, right? Firefighters hate those, you know, like <laughs> Chicago Fire, right? Because they're unrealistic. Ted Lasso nailed it. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proud Lasso head, and I'm glad you are, too. Yeah, I think it did great things for the field that I'm in as well, just because he does openly talk about his own mental health and grapples with that. And then you see how he's treated because of like his mental health. And then he starts talking about that even to the media. That was a a, a performance person in the show. I mean, and she's great. 
that's the one thing I get probably the most is, oh, are you like the lady on Ted Lasso? <laughs> a little bit. And the best, her name is Dr. Sharon. Yeah. And you are Shannon. That's so right. So it's like, yeah, you're, you just, we're just re- take a letter out and bam, that's you. Exactly. And take the British I accent. It, I think it did great things, honestly, for, um, for sports and, and de-stigmatizing um, well-being. It really did. And mm-hmm. I know for me personally, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying like, I am Ted Lasso, but I am a positive and bubbly and high energy type of personality. And my job is front facing and I have severe anxiety and I go to therapy and I deal with my own mental health issues. So, but, but you might get the perception to me that I'm all high energy and happy go lucky all the time. Kind of like a Ted in, in, a, in a similar but different way. So for me to watch that show and see Ted have a panic attack, similar to maybe one I might have one day or, or have had in the past, and then go to therapy and deal with it, I'm like, damn, damn straight, Ted, you go. Because that's what I do. Yes, yes. I really feel like, you know, things really have changed a lot since I've been in the field and in athletics. And I feel like coming on with the Chicago Dogs was a great example you know, the, the um, players were so open because this they set that culture. They are, um, I hope that we're more and more and more coming to a time where athletes um, are willing to, um, at minimum, address there's a mental and emotional component to the game that can be exercised like a muscle. It's the same thing, right? Um, all the way through, oh, goodness, I have, you know, even more I would love to process about my well-being. And we're getting there. We are getting there. And this was a perfect example of that. To be embraced in the way that I was says a lot. Says a lot about the dogs. Says a lot about the players. Says a lot about um, the industry changing. Yeah, it's, I think, a beautiful thing and a much needed thing. I mean, how much longer were we going to have to go without someone like you being Mm -hmm. fully embraced? I mean, it was dumb (laughs) to not have that for so many years. So I'm so glad that we've gotten to that point. And Shannon, something I, I have to ask you because I, I make sure to ask everyone on this podcast and I, I kind of hang on every word you say. So I'm really curious what direction you'll go here. But speak to my listeners for a moment and give all of them and us, I'll include myself in that, give us a piece of advice. Check in. The piece of advice is check in regularly. Um, either with your thoughts at any given time and see if there might be any connection to the way you're like holding your body or what's going on or check in with your body and see what might be happening with your thought process in relationship to anything going on in your body. And maybe if you can't even connect those dots yet, that's totally fine. It's the process of checking in and what I like to call being curious, if that's a word that is more helpful, you know, be curious throughout the day. Take a moment to stop and see if you can take a breath and see what's going on right there. I mean, everything will change for you just with that pause button throughout the day, as many times as you're willing and able. Put a note in your phone a couple times a day, you know, an alarm to go off and be like, oh, okay. Here's what's going on. And just start, just start there. That's my advice. 
check in. It's so simple. I mean, we check our phones 10,000 times a day. Why, why don't we check in with ourselves? Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't need to be 10,000 times a day. Um, a strategy I use that I'll share, maybe it'll be helpful to someone, is for me, it's moments of transition are when I check in. Like mm -hmm. when I get in the car and start the engine and start driving, you know, before I call someone up or listen to that podcast or whatever it is, I'll just take a couple minutes, check in, take a breath, see what's going on, right? Maybe it's walking out the door, like find those moments and, and check in. That is beautiful advice, Shannon. Yeah. Be curious, check in, take a breath, take a moment, see what's going on. Whatever that means to you. I would rather just see that start in, in a very intentional way and See what you find out. You will be surprised by how much of a difference that makes. Shannon Safaletto, I cannot thank you enough for coming on for what I am going to just preemptively, without your permission, call part one of our podcast because I think part two is going to be in the offing. I really want to dive into your dance background and how you work with dancers. I think there's a lot to learn there, and I don't know much about it. So that'll be part two. That sounds great, Sam. Thank you again so, so much. Um, just for being such a great person to know this year, um, such a great teammate. Um, I don't know. It's just been a lot of fun. You're, you're such a great part of the team, and I love working with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shannon. Uh, the feeling is so mutual. And, and folks, just to let you behind the scenes a little bit, this is how great Shannon is. Not only is, is she incredible, as you've heard on the pod, but we started recording this about 40 five minutes late because my computer decided to spaz out and we I had to get her to download some software to record and she's helping me out so much and I'm like freaking out and she's just like the most chill nice helpful <laughs> person so Shannon Safaletto thank you for coming on and thank you for bearing with me more than anything appreciate oh, you yeah. thank you Sam I can't wait for part two I'm already excited Woo! all right talk soon <laughs> Check in with yourself. What a beautiful message. Shannon Suffoletto, an absolute gem today on the Mental Game Podcast. And back here in the studio, frankly, I learned a lot from Shannon just this past summer. She even came up into our broadcast booth, and I introduced her to the broadcast crew with the dogs, who I affectionately dub the championship crew, which is accurate, and showed her around. She learned a bit about what we did and is just a very curious person really tries to diagnose everything in an organization, which is why I think the dogs were lucky to work with Shannon, and I think anyone, frankly, would be. So she will certainly be on part two of the Mental Game podcast, but for part one, that's a wrap. Also, a big thank you to everyone who donated on the Lasers Ladybug Society GoFundMe for the Chicago Half Marathon. I'm recording this at the end of September, just a couple days after running the Half Marathon, in an hour, 58 minutes, two seconds, I'm a bit sore. My left foot hurts and my quads hurt quite a bit. But I ran it, I sprinted the last mile, and I appreciate all of you for donating. Most important number is $2,200 to John and Renee Laser and the wonderful folks at the Lasers Ladybug Society, which is a proud partner of the Mental Game Podcast. All right, well, that's been a wrap. As always, subscribe, like, please rate and review the podcast. It does help quite a bit in the algorithms with all that AI. So on Apple, on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever you're listening or watching, I appreciate your time. And I'll talk to you next time on The Mental Game. So adios from Chicago. <laughs>